Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am your fill-in host, Barnabas Piper, here with Ronald J. Martin. Uh, Ted is... I don't think Ted is doing anything particular today except being a busy employed man, uh, is he, Ron? Yeah, I think he's. I think his employment exceeded our employment. Yeah, he's 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 <laughs> overemployed. Not a problem that some people have. Overemployed, underpaid. That's what exactly. it is to be in the world of academics. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna do our best to make it without him today. See if we can pull this off. Um, before we get into the topics for the day, um, we do have two sponsors. The first sponsor is us. We are sponsoring us nice. with our upcoming live event. Indie Live on March 31st on the eve of some large reformed conference that I'll probably be around working and whatnot. But this event, Indie Live, is the real highlight of that week because Ronnie, myself, and Ted will be doing three live episodes, including one lengthy Q&A where we get to interact with you, the listeners, and that's the best part. It'll be in Indianapolis at a church called Soma. Is that right? Correct. All right. There's not a question mark on the church name. I just couldn't remember. Um, so Soma Church, and it's 7 to 10 p.m., March 31st. If you go to happyrantpodcast.com, you'll see a big thing in the middle that says events and a big orange button on that that says get your tickets here. It's got all the details. Tickets are 15 bucks. And, and tell your friends, invite people. We would love to have a huge crowd come out for that. So that is us sponsoring us. Our second sponsor is a gentleman named Joe Waller, who has published a book of poems called As I Learned to Walk. Uh, and if you're familiar with the Valley of Vision, so like Puritan prayers, it's kind of in that vein, except with all without all the these and the thous. So it's like uh, it's like the New Living version of Valley of Vision, uh, I think is probably the best way to describe it. But I read through it because I wanted to make sure we weren't promoting something that was, you know, kooky or nonsense. And it's it's really good. He's a really good poet. Um, he is he's a youth pastor and he's getting his Ph.D. Um, and apparently is also very artistically creative. So if you're somebody who enjoys sort of reflective, devotional poetry, it's not – it's not like heavy theological stuff, you know, like reading William Cowper or something. Um, it's it's called As I Learned to Walk. You can get it at Amazon or you can go to fiveroundrocksmedia.com to, to check it out as well. So As I Learned to Walk by Jill Waller, great book of poems, um, talking about everything from, as, as good poetry does, everything from tragedies to glories to grace to to just sort of the, the kind of the full spectrum of emotional and spiritual life. So check that out as well. Those are our sponsors for today. Business over. I guess we can dive into the actual topics. I'm so used to Ted doing this that I'm just waiting for somebody else to kick this thing off. I'm just going to sit here keep, in silence. It's like you keep hesitating and pausing, Pipe, and it's like, no, 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 no. You're the one that has to keep rolling. <laughs> no, oh, right. But, I'm, 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 I'm pseudo-hosting today, so I'd like to And that's apologize. because I turned it over to you, too. I was like, hey, here's, the, here's <laughs> a plan, Pipe. Why don't, why don't you do it? That's right. You get to host Indie Live because you are our you are our on staff MC. I think that's your, sure. That's your your title. Sure, sure. All right. Well, the topics that we came up with for today, I'll I'll just sort of center around um, church things, specifically. Why do people like mega churches? That was my question. That's the question I posed in my mind, and then shared with Ron. And Ron said, "Yes, we should talk about this." So. Why why is it that with 
with the culture being, you know, it's very anti-church and megachurch, yeah. you know, megachurch pastors are falling right and left. And it seems like with culture swinging one way, megachurches should all be crumbling. And yet somehow, some way, the mega attractional church is still like a, a cultural institution. So, Ron, as the man of the cloth, as Ted likes to call you, I don't I don't know why it's man of the cloth. That seems odd to me. That seems very Catholic, and you're not. But uh, as our as our ordained minister on the podcast. Much more Protestant. Yeah, there we go. You're an ordained minister of the gospel. Um, What is it about megachurches that keeps them sort of thriving in the midst of people seemingly fleeing church at a, at a record rate? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm I'm like racking my brain now. I just read an article kind of on, on the same lines of what your question is. It may have been a Stetzer article, but I'm not sure. But it was talking about the fact that um, mega churches are there. They've mainly been led by boomers and these dudes are all retiring now. And what they're finding is that they're having a hard time, like finding somebody younger to sort of take over the mantle, partly because to get somebody that they want, that's a little bit younger, either like a, a Gen X or a millennial what they're finding is, is that they have a different set of leadership skills altogether than than what the boomers previously had. And then secondly, a lot of um, a lot of the feelers they put out for dudes that are of this age are absolutely not interested. So the, the whole idea of like coming into something of 2000 plus people and just all of these like things that they would have to unravel, you know, big ship to have to turn because there's undoubtedly some changes that need to be made and all these things to even like to even convince somebody to want to come into that. They're, they're um, allegedly having a lot of, a lot of problems finding somebody. So it's kind of interesting that like, that's even like being talked about and dealt with as some of these, like some of these like uh, generational shifts are just like naturally happening. But in terms of just your question, I, I mean, I think it's a great question. I don't, it's weird because like I feel like anything that's big and anything that is a spectacle and anything that is built to be a spectacle and then driven as a I mean that is something that just tends to attract people in general. It does, like, but not usually for any long period of time. Like spectacles tend to have seemingly pretty short shelf lives or can only be done periodically. Like you know, we talk every every year we talk about award shows and things. You know, the Grammys are are, are coming up they're a spectacle and the Super Bowl was a spectacle, but those things only happen once a it's year. It's a one-time shot. Yeah. But um, I mean, do you think though that it's even, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but do you think that it has anything to do with like, man, when you see one of these, when you see like a Willow Creek and I know we're going like to the top of the, of the food chain. Yeah, it's with like, the, it's like with, the OG of attractional churches. It is. But like, is there something about it that's more akin to like, just going to like a major league baseball game? I mean, everybody keeps going back to Major League Baseball games. Like nobody's like saying, "Man, I wish Major League Baseball would just go back to the way it was when there used to be like three hundred people showing up, and it I was mean, a little more like maybe, relational." But, like nobody's saying that about like sports, right? Yeah, but the difference is that every time you go to a sporting event, it's an entirely different event. Like it's it's unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. You know some of the key players, but like a church service is about as predictable as it comes. And if, in fact, when churches try to be unpredictable, they usually are awful. <laughs> like this is, this is when Stephen Furtick ends up on a futon. But so, dude, is that, but that, but I mean, are you proving your point though, in the fact that like mega churches that are always trying to like create, you know, something unpredictable, something new. I mean, that, that is like, we are talking about Furtick. We are talking about Carl Lentz. Like we are talking about those 
kind of churches, right? Where they're like every week, man, they're just discovering and reinventing, right? I mean, is this just, is it basically just like Jesus robe Tony Robbins? Is that it? Because I mean, I, I'm baffled that Tony Robbins is still like a, a sensation. You know, he does these events and people yeah. pay gobs of money to go hear him basically say you're guard, you're good enough, you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you. I mean, is that, is that what people are going for? I was having this conversation with a couple of friends the other day and they're like, why do people keep showing up at these churches that never say anything out of the Bible? They, they don't, they don't say anything to to correct or direct or anything meaningful in life. And and people take half of a Sunday, put on their makeup and their big hair, and drag their Bible down there to go sit and and do what exactly? I don't I can't yeah, I can't I, figure it out exactly. I grew so man, I spent time like when I was younger, I spent time at, at a massive church in Southern California. Probably about at the time, it was probably about 10,000 people. Um, I had just, I had just kind of, you know, half of my teenage years into my like, you know, early 20s. It's just where I was. And um, at some point, all the things that you just brought up, um, you know, th- those things kind of came to bear. Like I, I, I need something deeper and thicker and richer. And all those things like started happening. So I ended up finding something smaller. But yeah, but to your question, like there are people that like that exist in these churches for 20, 30, 40 years. Like they, they're devoted, yeah. they're committed to that kind of a thing. And like, I, I think like we're in a tribe where we don't get to talk to a lot of people that, that are still like engaging in, in that kind of a church. So it's like, in some ways, like to answer that question, you, you have to like, you, you have to ask like what their definition is of theology, what their definition is of worship. And again, if they were never given anything more rich and more thick they might think what they have it like that is rich, that is thick, that is deep for them, right? Well, yeah, I mean these I I I mean living living in the South, there's you know, as as Ted likes to say, you can swing a dead cat and hit one of these churches on any corner. Um <laughs> and uh I don't know why we're the dead cat thing amuses me because Ted loves cats. I like Yeah, this, I know, you I know get dead, that one. dead cats is sort of more my thing. Um, I don't know why he picked that animal. I'm gonna have to know, talk like, to him about pick, that. Pick like a yeah. I don't know, a woodchuck or something. Like an but, aardvark or something. Yeah. Something yeah, exactly. But uh but I, you know, so I get to interact on a pretty regular basis with people who are part of these churches, and there is a there is an absolute devotion to to these to the church, to the leaders, to you know, to the experience, and and I mean in a in an enviable way. Like they have often made me feel guilty about my lack of enthusiasm about totally. churches that I have been at. Now, currently, I'm at a church that I love and have no intention of leaving, but it took a long time to find it. Um, but there's, but they're also the types who would who if you know if you said, hey, let's go through a a Tim Keller book, would be like, oh. That's that's heady stuff. Like that's just. Or would they even know who TK is? I mean, they 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 probably would. Or if you or if you just like you know, if it was sort of a an interdenominational Bible study, and you said, "Hey, let's use let's use Tim Keller's book on the on the what is it, the King Jesus or something on the Gospel of Mark," and you're like, "Hey, let's use this," yeah. they would uh, they they would get through a chapter and go, "Man, that like bent my brain," and that's not to say anything about their intelligence level as much as the their regular interaction with theology or complete lack thereof. I mean, in these, and so the, yeah, there's, there is definitely a, just a lack of depth in terms of the, the, 
the the theological depth. Not except they wouldn't. Except they wouldn't think that. Like I, I right. know somebody. I know somebody who who will remain nameless, and they they. So I actually do know somebody. I just don't have a lot of conversations. But but in the past, the, the one or two convos I've had, um, there there is a real sense that they would never think that what they were attending or part of wasn't deep. They they don't think like. Oh, these like that church over there who has this preacher and goes through those books for their Bible studies, like they they tend to go a little bit deeper than we do. But you know what's so interesting about it, and something you said just made me think about this, is that there is much there is like this sort of this fandom with I think some of these bigger churches mm-hmm. where they become almost like brand ambassadors because again, mega churches are really good at branding and they try I mean yes. I, I mean they're man, they're really, really, really spending a lot of time. Um, you know, kind of completing the brand all the time, right? And um, and so what I've gotten from that, from this particular individual, is that like they're really devoted, they're really proud, and they're really devoted to the brand in the same way. I mean, not to always bring it back to sports, but in the same way that somebody is like they're going to die for their team, and there there is a sense of that because it's about something else other than what you're saying. The reason why you go and fellowship at the church you go to is about, you know, why, why are you with Ortland? Well, because man, there's so much depth. There's so much richness. It's awesome. You know, and like, that's yeah. why you're going there. It's not because Ortland has created this particular brand that you get to wear a Jersey and you get to cheer for it and you're going around promoting it all the time. But that seems to be like the direction that a lot of these churches go in. And I know, man, you can be a small church and do the same thing and have your own like kind of anti-brand brand. I, I mean, I get all of that, of course. Yeah, I mean, and I think the I think that there's certainly been a trend that way too towards the the sort of un you know the unchurch or the I mean the the uh, what was it the emergent church uh, right whatever 15 years ago when Ted when Ted got you know world famous, famous? yeah yeah world, world famous. With his, with, his co- with his with his his co-author, whoever um, that guy was, right? Uh, writing about the emergent church. I mean, that was sort of the unchurch. You know, it's like a church built around our stories and these different things, sort of moving away from traditional church. It was sort of the worst reaction to a mega. Ch- not, I'm sorry, mega is the wrong term. Attractional church. Mega just means big, and big churches can be you know can can say you know can be good churches too, but. Uh, Right. But then there's but then there's like church planting movements and house church movements and yeah. just sort of a or or on the the more sort of heady theological side you get people who are so they're so doctrinally specific that their church could not possibly ever grow because you know we don't yeah we, we don't call all, that fundamentalism yeah we don't all wear robes and pronounce the Westminster Confession of Faith every Sunday um, right but yeah I don't know I it, <laughs> the branding point is really interesting just thinking about the way that people interact online. The people who I know who are the most sort of geeked up and enthusiastic about what their church is doing are all part of these churches. Exactly. No, that's a really good point, man. And that's that's the part that is that's the part. I And again, I think the reason why you hear that or I hear that is because they they have grown to be such a large network that their voices just tend to travel further. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I mean, honestly, man, people that go to your church or go to my church, I mean, they're, they're about our quote unquote brand, but they're just not going to have that kind of a voice that's going to travel wide enough for us to like hear about that. Right. Well, that's true. But, but also like there's, there's such a distinct difference where, I mean, I feel like, so I go to Emmanuel church in Nashville, um, which is, you know, it's a mid-sized church. We probably get 
I don't know, six to 800 people on a Sunday, not counting yeah. kids. And so, I mean, it's good size, but not enormous. When people from our church share things, they're usually sharing something that I would consider sort of substantive and qualitative. So it might be the video of the sermon. It might be, this happened in our small group. It totally. might be, this person prayed for me. Like, there's something substantive to it, not sort of big event kind of thing like hey come out to our big christmas thing or hey do these i mean i don't even know like a, a branded sunday morning service or a huge service day project kind of thing and that's I, because I, they almost act like a right because these churches these larger churches almost i'm sorry attractional churches let me get the lingo right they um they almost act yeah. as sort of like otherwise we're gonna get chewed up and spit I know, out by, we're someone, get killed, by someone from the village church somebody's gonna listen and go hey we're a big church that's not i love us. how that's the only like legit big church that we get <laughs> okay. maddie chan Bethlehem, that's like the only Bethlehem legit Baptist big church, church. we can They're go to big, right? not as big as village but, but no, but I think what you're describing are uh, promotional teams. And so when you yeah. get an attractional church, it's going to come off way more like, hey, we're part of this promotional team for the church, which is like, you need to come to my church. Like, it's awesome. You know, it's like, it's like, like that, it's like that whole vibe. Yeah, you know, it rather feels, than it feels a little bit like the grand opening of, of like a restaurant, like a sports bar that puts like girls in totally. referee jerseys outside to like, you know, try to, you know, get real peppy and get people excited to go to the, to the brand new, you know, wing stop or whatever. That's, <laughs> exactly. that's kind of what, that's kind of what these churches feel like. Oh, pipe. We sound so up. snobby right now. It's, I, I yes, you know. I, I know uh, what's ironic. If we were Ted, we'd be, we'd be, man, we'd have to go back and edit the heck out of this one, man. Yeah, I but, know. I, yeah. I don't feel bad at all because no, I'm good. Ted, I'm good. Ted, I'm just Ted, saying let's you qualify avoid, our snobbiness. You avoid saying <laughs> offensive things. Ted has a conscience and I just roll with it, I guess. But, uh, uh, oh, I just I had a conversation recently um, with Jeff Metters, who's oh, yeah. who's a you know, he's a church. He, well, he, I guess he was a church planter. Now he's just a pastor because he's been there long enough that he stopped planting and is just pastoring now. But he has a book coming out really soon called Humble Calvinism. And so we had oh, yeah, a long we had a yeah, long conversation good. about like what it means to be a humble Calvinist. And I'm pretty th pretty sure this whole conversation is not that <laughs> because it's us telling other people <laughs> why their churches suck. But um all right, so moving on in the conversation, yeah. what do you what do you think the future of the megachurch is? And this isn't just the attractional church. This is just like the megachurch. Because here's here's two things that that come to mind that I think are real threats to the megachurch. One is their sheer overhead, the budget that a megachurch has to maintain just to exist. If you're a small church, you function on a small budget, but you also don't spend a ton of money. So if giving is down, it's always down. At a megachurch, if giving is down, like you, you might not be able to pay your six-figure mortgage or whatever. So that's yeah. one. The second is if our culture moves in a more in a direction that marginalizes Christianity more, even to to move kind of to illegalize it in some ways, that seems to be a major threat to the to these churches. So just kind of looking down the road, putting on your uh, you know looking into your crystal ball, putting on the little turban, and and being you know fortune teller Ron, Nostra Ron. Um, <laughs> what uh, what do you see as the future for the mega church in America? Okay, so I'm I'm going to be a little more doom and gloom pipe about this one. I'm going to be a little more Shocker. like Big T. Wait a minute. Um, the pastor who meets with, you know, a, a moderate-sized congregation in a warehouse in the middle of Ohio is doom and gloom about the megachurch? Yeah. I'm, I'm stunned. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That wasn't, wasn't expected at all. 
I think um, I actually think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be fine and dandy. And the reason why is because I think as long as there are men with um, with gosh, this is going to sound horrible. I, I need to I need to be careful how I phrase this. No, I, I think, nobody wants you to be careful. They want to hear exactly what you think. I think as long as there are men who battle with pride and ego, there are always going to be massive massive churches they they might they they might change in 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 style and direction there might there might be some substantive things that are different about them into the future but i think just in terms of pure size there there are enough people out there who who literally their drive is to do something that just continues to grow and expand and i think you're always going to see um the availability for that kind of a church to exist and, and to flourish in whatever in whatever you know, positive or negative yeah. way we want to define flourishing, right? So you're, but, um, I mean, you're kind of describing just the the commoditization of Christianity, which we've already seen in like Christian music. If you're around Christian music, like the Christian music industry, you get to know that within it, I mean, it's it's got an ugly underbelly. Oh, it's yeah. it is just as sort of greedy and lascivious and everything else as would you know the the secular rock and roll world be in a lot of ways. And so you're you're kind of talking about church in the same terms, it sounds like, where it's just a, if we're going to entrepreneurialize this thing, business, you know, sort of business principle, growth principle, this thing, then it, it will just keep on chugging because those principles will sustain at least, will sustain it at least numerically. Yeah, totally. I, I just, and again, I think that's a good, it's a good uh, comparison to the, I think, to the music industry in the sense that there are like artists out there who just say, Hey, I, I really just want to make my art. And if, if, you know, if, a, if it attracts a crowd, um, great, because I want it to be heard, but I don't have this thirst and desire that it needs to be heard by millions. And then there are other people that get into it. And I'm not even judging this, but there are other people that get into it and, you know, have legitimate talents, but they do have this, um, this desire that they want as many people as possible to hear what they, what they do, what they create. And I don't think it's any different in the church world. I think you're always going to have people that say, Hey, I just want to do ministry. And I um, mean, you know, whether we're a church of 50 or, or 500 or 5,000, God will bring that growth, but we're not going to do anything to try to promote that or gain that. We're just going to be faithful. And then you have other people that get in and say, Hey, what are the potentials here? What are the possibilities here? Can we, can we reach as many people in our town as we can reach in our city as we can reach? And let's do some of these things that will, that will grab that, that larger number. So I, I just think that's always going to exist. All right. So let me draw that distinction again between mega as large and attractional as you know, the church that sort of de-emphasizes the harder things of the gospel and emphasizes like the pretty, the pretty performing aspects of things. So of those mega churches, of which there are plenty that do seek yeah. to be biblical gospel oriented churches. Do you see the same future for those churches that you do for sort of the, I mean, cause the, you said you said that you see you think they'll be fine, but you also painted it seemingly kind of away from the gospel in terms of the leanings of those churches. Did I understand that right? Well, I think it can be, you know, I don't know, you know, I mean that I think that's where it gets gray, right? Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, there's so many factors that go into why um, churches attract a lot of people. I mean, it's geography, it's just a very, very compelling speaker. You know, there's there's all of and that's just two things. Right. And there's all of these different things that I think play into why a church might grow and then why another church 
you know, four miles up the road just is not going to experience that kind of kind of growth. So I think sometimes churches grow in in spite of themselves in the sense that, man, they didn't do the big promotional pushes. They didn't try to create these big, you know, attractional paradigms. And God just allowed them to grow, but they stuck to their guns. They preached the gospel. It's deep. It's rich. It's thick. And then I think you do have other churches that just, man, have just guns blazing, have done this attractional thing. And they they get a gazillion people as well, but they got to keep that machine rolling too. Whereas the other church that just got it because they got it, because God blessed them and they got it. I mean, I mean, they're 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 operating under something that I think is a little healthier and a little more palatable in terms of what we would consider healthy church, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously I think you and I, if we were going to define healthy churches, we're going to start with what does the church believe and teach. Right. You know, and and from there you get into issues of culture and issues of church polity and things like that, all of which all of which matter a lot, but yeah, but can be a little bit varied as well. Um, but I mean like but I mean going back to I mean I know we always go back to the village because you know Chan is as deep and as rich and as thick as they get in, in the preaching and even yeah. their model is very simple. Um so but again, I mean you know, he was just such a he's a compelling speaker. They're in a place where there's you know, they live in like a they live in like an area where there's like, you know, one person every, you know, three centimeters. So, the, the, I mean, man, it was like they were going to attract a lot of people. But again, they didn't set out to do that. Well, and, and I, they're an know. interesting case as well, because they they've kind of de-expanded in some ways where they right. went from being a multi-site church to to helping spin those sites off into independent churches. So right, yeah. that, I mean, there, there was a, there was a massive expansion and then a, a kind of a self-correction, not morally, but just like it, this is not the the healthiest and the best. Yeah. Self-correction back towards, back towards health because they were seeing potential unhealth if they kept yeah. going the direction. Yeah. I mean, they, they right. were, they were kind of, it was becoming untenable from, you know, a whole bunch of ways, just a church health standpoint. And so even there, there's a there's a moderate move away from the the perpetual expansion and totally. growth. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, when I when I see churches that that have sort of you know um, like international networks, you know, it's like we're we are one church with with campuses in seventy two countries. <laughs> right. I'm like, I mean, that's not even a denomination. Denomination. We called that church that. planting back in the old days. But, well, I yeah. I just I call that a professional network. Right. That is yeah. that is a that is a conference going on. I mean, it's it's basically an affiliation of events, um, and it, and it, it I think it pretty well undermines the whole concept of church in in any in any local sense. Not that not necessarily the the you know big C church, but yeah, those are. And I think that only works when there's not a a major emphasis on what is being taught, what is being believed, you know, that those sort of structures and, and, uh, doctrines. Well, how do you have time to, how do you have time to talk about what you believe when you have all of that going on? I mean, how do you, I mean, it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter if you have a killer worship band. So it's just, you know, know, it's like pastor just, just I don't know. What do you, and it's amazing. There are churches that are built on the worship teams. So, yeah. That's, but it's just it's it's funny when you think about like when you think about the machines that get built. I mean, yeah. we're a small thing, and you know already you know some weeks it feels like there's so much going on, and we like we we're so simple, we're so stripped down, and yet there's so much going on. Like the last thing anybody's talking about 
you know, the last thing anybody's coming to me to ask me about is, hey, by the way, Big R, what are you preaching on on Sunday? You know, I mean, that, that doesn't even get yeah, that. That's not like a topic of the conversation all the time. You know, we're talking about yeah. all these other things. I can't even imagine if we have what you just described a minute ago. Like, when does when does what we believe and what we're teaching even get discussed? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it. It from the outside looking in, it seems like it has taken. I mean, taking a backseat is a is a dumb cliche. I mean, we're talking like a fifteen passenger van, and it's van, and it's in like the fourth row. I mean, it's 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 the all the way in the back. Right. Um. All right. I have one more more question. I know time is short for us today because both of us are running between things. Unlike Ted, we were able to carve right. out time for this priority. Um. All right. Last question is what is the next cool church trend? So in the nineties, eighties, nineties, there was the, the attractional mega church. Then there was the, um, there was the emergent church. Uh, then there was like church planting has maintained a level of coolness for a long time. Although it's, it's changed sort of shapes over time. There was sort of the center, the center city church movement, you know, kind of, Tim Tim Keller esque, and everybody wants to plant in the city. Seems like now everybody wants to plant in hip neighborhoods. Um, what is what's the next trend? I have a couple ideas, but I want to hear what uh, what you think. Yeah, I just think we with trends. Everything what happens with the trend is like everybody starts oversteering, and then so at some point somebody raises their hand and goes, "Okay." Because we've all been doing this, this has been neglected over here. Yep. And so one of the trends that is popping up now is rural church planning. So, Or um, as the, I like to call it, the Wendell Berry Church. There you go. Small town, Wendell Berry, um, same thing. So what, what everybody's recognizing is as everybody, as all these new church planners over the last 20 years have made this big rush for the city, there's now all of these small towns that are just ripe uh, for church planning. And there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, there's in a lot of ways, um, and there's there's um, and there's a lot of compelling reasons to find a small town to plant a small town church. Um, there are some there are some ways to do it that make it much much more simple and much more palatable than doing you know like an urban or an inner city or center church plant. And so I think that is something. I mean, Acts twenty nine is talking about it. Stetzer's talking about it. Our denomination, the EFCA, is talking about it. Um, Sojourn Network is talking. I mean, so there's the conversation now has shifted, and that's something that you're hearing come up like a lot right now. Donnie Griggs wrote this book, yep. uh, Small Town Jesus. He's in North Carolina, and um, he's just a guy to, that wrote. I think wrote probably the first of, of many books that are going to be coming out. Stephen, um, guy named Stephen Whitmer has either Stephen Whitmer either yeah. just came out or is coming out soon, and it's it's also about small. It's more about his is more about small town pastoring because I think he took a pastorate yeah. at, a, at a church that had been around a long time. I think he did, yeah. So his is almost more like revitalization. Yeah, Donnie Griggs is about just going into a town and starting a brand new work, like which is what we did as well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think. I don't, you know, there, small town church planning, it lacks a lot of sexiness. And so it's really, it is going to appeal to a particular demographic. You okay, know, but just like, not, ner- just like in the 90s, nerds, like they did Revenge of the Nerds because that was like an outcast <laughs> part of society. Yeah. And that might have been 80s. There was like yeah. seven of them. So, um, but nerds are now cool. 
I think the lack of sexiness runs the risk of becoming sexy. It does because it's farm culture and we can make farm, you know, f- you know, farm, farm culture, like is all hipster now. And there's, I mean, so man, you can make, you can actually talk about there being like this legitimate, like it, not cool. That's why it's cool now movement. Back and that's, to that's why I call it know. the Wendell Berry thing. Cause Wendell Berry has been doing the same thing for like 60 years. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, I mean, a lot it of was, people have, it was yeah. never cool. It was always quality, but it was never yeah. cool until the last like 10 years when, you know, everybody wanted to, to grow like non GMO potatoes or whatever. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Wendell Berry's sort of agricultural leaning, small town, all of those like those themes, his sort of natural, uh, naturalistic kinds of stuff was something that people gravitated towards. That's why I call this Wendell Berry Church, because I'm like, I think people are going to the the lack of sexiness is going to be the badge of honor. Well, no, if, because if you're, this you're, takes an ugly turn. You're no, but you're totally right, though, Pipe. And part of that is part of that is everybody now returning to contemplative pastor by Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. And it is, Hey, guess what? I can go, man, I don't have to get you know, this, you know, this vocation, this calling can be something like very streamlined and very simple. And I can just get back to doing the, the basic things that I originally thought I was called to do, which is praying, which is preaching, which is people and, and all this <laughs> other stuff that it is just like, yeah, and, you and know. then the neighbor's like, Hey, can you come help me deliver a calf? Totally. So, but that's, that's people though still, right? Yeah. So it's like, it, it takes you out of like all of just these, the, the complexities to be honest, in my opinion, that come when you, when you do, you know, down, you know, you know, when you plant churches in Manhattan or you, or you're going to suburban neighborhoods, there's know, a lot man. more complexities. I, I read know? a couple of those small church books because I was, I was writing a couple, kind of working with the publishers to write a couple PR pieces for them. And uh, those were eye opening as to like the, the incredible challenges of being a a small town pastor, just in terms of, especially if it's very rural or agricultural, because you totally. you are you are like you're the counselor, you are the you're the ambulance, you're the hay baler, you're the yeah you do it all you do it all yeah you 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 have to and you and you're going into a community that's been fairly insular and has deep roots and you don't and there's a lot of there's a lot going on there which I. Tell me the, about it, Pipe. The same is true. And I mean, it's the same is true in if you go into an urban neighborhood. It's now, may, true. Yeah, maybe it's not true. if it's a transient urban neighborhood. Those are probably easier to plant in, but, or I mean, different challenges, but not the deep roots. They're uh, all different challenges. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, it, be, being a pastor is hard everywhere, I think. But. Well, Piper, I mean, not Piper. Uh, who's the other famous guy? Oh, Keller. Keller, yes. Keller said, um, I mean, he said, you know, he started out in Virginia at a rural church for nine mm-hmm. years and he said, he said he wishes that every young pastor could start in a rural church because they're forced to do everything and wear all the hats. Yeah. And he said that was his education besides all of his education, right? And well, I mean, um, so it's, when he, it's the reason he's a he made it as a pastor instead of just a scholar. Totally. Yeah, um, that's a great point too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, one other trend that comes to mind that I think is going to be maybe not as sexy because it's way more work, but again, the ego of people will will wear it like a badge of honor, and that is church revitalization. Yeah. So those churches that are having trouble finding younger pastors, you know, they were they were huge in 1996, mm-hmm. and they've they've sort of diminished, and it's the same people who were there in 1996, and there's a lot of challenges to it. People going in, younger pastors going in to sort of be a revitalizing leader. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a thing that that will be on the rise, partly out of necessity and just availability and partly because that uh, every time there's a movement, then books get written about it and podcasts get started about it. And, and you know, there, there becomes a whole, 
uh, wealth of resources put into it. So people, you know, the, the, the herd of, of aspiring pastors will follow that one trend or the other. Right. I think that's another one that's going to be, that that's going to follow on the heels of Wendell Berry. You're saying revitalization of actual, like big churches. Or formerly big churches that have diminished. But yeah, so not like the urban revitalization where it's a church of like 11 people, um, you know, used to be 300, but then everybody moved out of the neighborhood. I'm talking about like a church that's mostly gray heads that used to be thriving, but then all of the all of the current members, kids and grandkids left and never came back. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah. And, that, that and that's a thing. real thing. That's actually yeah. happening for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a couple of people who have done it in, well, Florida, of course, because there's a lot of gray heads there. Um, and and the, the challenges of that are remarkable. I, I think of all of the options, that would be my least favorite. I think that, no, but I think you're onto something. I think in my opinion, cause I've had recent conversations about what you're talking about, to be honest. And um, I think that is the most, I think that would be the most challenging for sure. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, The baggage, the, just the, I mean, just the, the inability to change is what you're talking about when you get, you get hired because they say we want somebody young with fresh perspectives to make changes and you go in there and they go you're too young. We don't like your perspective and we won't change. Yeah. They, they uh, bring you into, they bring you in, they say, take us to the future. You get in there and they say, you better not make a move. (laughs) That's right. No, the future is scary. We like the past better. Let's go back. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm sure there's more opinions we could offend people with about churches and and church movements, but absolutely, we have done what we always do, and that is to wander to and far through these various topics. Uh, Before I give the sign off, though, don't forget to go to happyrantpodcast.com where you can get your Ligaris Roasters coffee, which is delicious. I drank a whole pot of it earlier today, Um, where you can get your tickets to Indie Live. March 31st, 7 p.m., Indianapolis, right on the eve of the Gospel Coalition. So if you're thinking of going to that, just arrive a little bit early and have way more fun. And lastly, be sure to check out the book, As I Learned to Walk, by Joe Waller. It's the book of poetry I mentioned at the beginning. It's excellent. So, Ron, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, I hope we held it together without Ted. You think, think we did we okay? Did, man. All right. pulled it off, yeah. Good and time. thank you, listeners. And until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hey there, it's Carly Mercool, your host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at LifeAudio.com.